You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Exodus 35 verses 20 through 36 verse 7 and let's stand together. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ram skin dyed red, or hides of sea cows brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezael, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he has given both him and Aholib, son of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen and weavers, all of them, master craftsmen and designers. So Beazel and Aholib and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses summoned Beelzeel and Aholib and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work in the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent his word throughout the camp. No man or woman 
is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. This is God's word. Timothy Ferris remembers as a teenager, his boss saying to him, one day you will appreciate the value of hard work. Well, today, Timothy Ferris is a middle-aged man, and he says with pride, I still don't see the value of hard work. And in fact, he's proven it by writing a book, a book that became a bestseller a number of years ago called The Four-Hour Workweek, with a subtitle, Escape the Nine to Five, Live Anywhere, and Join the New Rich. We have copies available in the back. No, I'm only kidding about that. Uh, but it raises this question, is that how God wants us to see work? Is that how we should view service towards him? As somehow less is better than more? Uh, that our job is always to try to find how to do as little as possible and yet claim that we are servants of God. Uh, so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the subject of service and work and serving God from the scriptures. And I thought what we do is maybe spend two weeks, including today, looking at the Old Testament and then look at that concept as we see it through the eyes of the New Testament in weeks three and four. So this morning, I want you to open up to Exodus chapter 35. Exodus is an exciting book. Uh, you can probably tell from the title itself. Uh, first two letters give an indication of what the book's about. It's about God's exit of his people from Egypt. Uh, the name itself means departure. Uh, and it's from this book that that account of God taking his people out of Egypt becomes the basis of his self-revelation. In other words, continually throughout the scriptures, you read references to he is the God who delivered his people out of Egypt. So it becomes a vocal point in understanding the very nature and character of God. But it's also a book that takes us into the subject of serving God. And, and what does that mean? So you notice in the immediate context of chapter 35, uh, there's a building project that's going to be taking place here. It's the building of the tabernacle, this movable sort of tent-like structure that's often called the tent of meeting where God's presence will be among his people. And that is where the, the priests will go in and, and they will meet with God uh, and then come out and convey those messages. So this is the immediate context of what it's talking about here with Moses and the need to put together the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. But I draw your attention to verse 20 where the text that we're getting into now picks up immediately with an invitation to serve the Lord. Verse 20, it says, Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. What an invitation to the people. Here's something that God wants us to do. And there's not going to be any of you who are exempt from your responsibility to somehow play a role in this project. 
So keeping your, your hand right there on Exodus 35, I want you to do a word comparison for a moment. And that is, look at Exodus 35 and verse 1. What's the second word in verse 1? Moses assembled. Now, keep that in mind. Flip back to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32 to a scene that happened about a few weeks before this repetition of the instructions for the tabernacle. Exodus 32 and the words that are found right before Aaron. So it says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they, what? Gathered around, gathered around Aaron. You have the exact same word in Hebrew for both of those. It speaks of the people coming together, a congregation, an assembly. But the assembly has two devastatingly opposite effects. In Exodus 32, they gather around Aaron and they say, you, you got to do something. We need something to worship to represent God for us. And they build a golden calf, which incurs God's, God's judgment and punishment on his people. Whereas when you get to Exodus 35, only a few weeks later, this assembling has a much different purpose. They are ready to do what God has commanded. And I say all that because the invitation to serve God should be seen as evidence of God's grace. In other words, if, if the book of Exodus stopped at Exodus 32, this thought of a tabernacle would have been simply that, a blueprint, nothing more. A design on paper, but not fulfilled. But because of God's grace, where he does punish, but then restores when they call out to him, now he issues an invitation to them to see this tabernacle be more than just a blueprint, but to become a reality, his presence among his people. Since serving is the result of grace, not merely a duty or something we should just blankly feel obligated to, but since it's the result of grace, we should see serving God as a privilege. And so you see this if you go back to Exodus 35 and notice in both verse 21 and 22, you have the repetition of willing, that this is a project that everyone whose heart has been moved and is willing will participate in this. So the people are to see this as not a force compulsory assignment, but, but this is a rational response to a great God who has done great acts on their behalf. <clears throat> and it's assumed here that even though it says all who are willing, I think we should understand the assumption is if you belong to the people of God, you are going to want to participate in this. You know, this isn't just like an option for some of you. It's implied you'll want to do this because you remember God's grace and what happened to the community of God's people only a few weeks ago with the making of the golden calf. So this thought of being invited to serve God should maybe be for some of us a paradigm shift that we don't think of service as, oh, I got to do this. 
you know, something's coming up next week's our work day. Oh, I have to be there. You know, because if I'm not there, then people wonder where I am. But but it actually be something where like I, I can't wait to be there. To to do my part in doing something in obedience to God. So you have this invitation that is given. But with any invitation, it would make sense to have instructions. And so there are now instructions for serving the Lord. What is exactly God is going to expect from the community of Israel? And as you see in this text, it takes up quite a bit of space explaining what God is requiring here. So look with me at verse 22 through 26. And, and just kind of think about here the, the scope of this service project. What's included and who's included. So notice verse 22. We'll go through this. It says, all who are willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. So they're bringing all of these goods. Many of these may have come out of their departure from Egypt when the Egyptians were, were so glad to see them leave. They, they loaded them with gifts by God's grace. But here you have men and women involved. You have items of gold given. But then it goes on because we're not done. It says that these are a wave offering. This is a type of offering in which through the motions, the physical motions one does, it's, it's making it very visible that this is a gift to God. But notice in verse 23, everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ramskins dyed red, or hides of sea cows brought them. I have a list of other items that were not in every household, but certainly were some resources that other people could bring who maybe did not have the gold and the earrings and other items like that. But they're also included in this offering that they can bring. Going a little further, in verse 24, those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who have acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Uh, if you're reading in the Old Testament, acacia wood is often mentioned in terms of furnishings for the tent of meeting, even for the tabernacle. Uh, it's a very strong, resilient type of wood. Uh, in other words, it's often kind of seen almost as uh, impenetrable to deterioration. So now you have people bringing this particular type of wood. Maybe they don't have the gold. Maybe they don't have the different cloth and dyes. But, but they do have this to bring an offer to God. A little bit further until we get to verse 26. Notice it says in verse 25, every skilled woman spun with her hands, brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, and all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. Notice this reference to if they had the skill. So now they're bringing what, what skills they have, what God has given them, and offering it back to God. I'm sure in a congregation like this, we have some people who are uh, very knowledgeable and they're seamstress. 
We have others who wouldn't maybe even know how to turn on a sewing machine. But God's saying, what, what do you have to offer to me? What, what abilities, resources have I placed in your hands that you can now willingly give back to me in service? So there's no one excluded here from this very broad scope of responsibilities that come with the privilege now of being God's children. Go down to verse 29. And you have sort of this summary statement. It says, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. What, what a phrase to remind us. It's all men, all women. Free will, yes, but the thought would be you are compelled to want to do this because you love God. So all of these items mentioned, they're not magical. They're not mysterious. Gold, earrings, cloth. So what you have happening here is God requiring something that in a sense is an ordinary material or item, but now consecrated to him becomes an act of worship. And isn't that what we are continually reminded of in the scriptures? That whatever we do, as we'll see, the importance of motive and reason, if it's done as unto the Lord, we're taking what is many times ordinary and it's being transformed into an act of worship because we're giving it unto the Lord for his work and his purposes. So we've looked at an invitation to serve God. Now we're in the middle of these instructions, and in a setting like this, what else do you hope to see in the instructions? That there's leading by example. And so look with me at verses 27 and 28, because in the middle of all of the women, all involved in this, all of the men, it says the leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. I think it's very important that we see in here the leaders of God's community are setting the example for us. They're coming. And they're bringing items that are appropriate to their responsibilities and tasks. The ephod is this sort of priestly vestment that would be worn, had different gems in it to represent the, the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, the sense that as they went into the tabernacle or tent of meeting, they were representing the people before God. So men, women, leaders are all given specific instructions. And at the same time, running throughout this is the reminder, God gives what he requires. In other words, his service that he asks of us is not beyond us. God is not an oppressive God where he's saying, well, here's what I want you to do, and this is going to frustrate you, and this is going to make your life difficult, but hey, I'm God, so man up. Uh, but he's saying, even what I demand from you, in my grace and my mercy, I will give you. And you see this in particular in verses 30 
through verse 2 of chapter 36. Because in Exodus 35, verse 30, mentions two individuals in particular. That God will raise up Bezael and Aholib, and, and he will give them skills, abilities. But not just those two, but he will gift them with the ability to teach this to others. And why is he saying this? Because God's requirements for the tabernacle are very specific. The, the type of embroidery that should be done, the patterns that will be on this structure, all to, to again, symbolize its, its sacredness, its uniqueness. So here God says, here's the craftsmanship I'm expecting, but I'm giving you artisans. I'm giving you craftsmen who will be filled with wisdom and knowledge and ability to produce exactly what I'm requiring. And you see in verse 31 of Exodus 35, it says, and he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. That word filled shouldn't surprise us to, to completely equip interesting when you think of any church that is following Christ within that church we have everything we need to serve him faithfully and we may sometimes struggle with there's a certain need and we wonder how that's going to be met but the reality is if God always gives what he requires then as we look around whatever true needs and burdens that God places on the hearts of his people in a local church. He's given us what we need to move forward on that. Now the issue may be whether or not that is a work that we need to do. But his promise is I always give what I require. And as we think about that we see throughout these set of instructions the motive behind all of this is very important. They're, they're not serving God to get something out of it. It has to be a willing heart. In other words, it's in response to God's grace. And so whenever we talk about the subject of serving God, we're not talking about earning your salvation, winning God's favor because you have a list of things that you have done supposedly for him in the church, we are very much aware, scripture says, all, all of our works are as filthy rags in God's eyes. But what, the, what we need is first the work of Christ applied to us, forgiving our sins. Then we become a people with a willing heart. So, so far, we've looked at the invitation to serve, that it covers all, uh, we've looked at some pretty clear instructions as to what was expected of the people of God, at least in this immediate historical context. But now we come to the incredible joy of serving the Lord. That you can't leave this passage without being struck by the enthusiasm and excitement of the people of God here. And you see this in particular in chapter 36 and verse 3. So as Moses gave these instructions, the people left, they went back to their homes, and then they start coming back with, with all of these items. 
And you get to Exodus 36 and verse 3. And it says, They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. Just think of the, the, the joyful repetition here. This isn't compulsory. These are free will offerings. They're coming because they, they love God. They're excited about the privilege of serving God. It reminds me of something Paul says in Romans 12, where he's finally getting to sort of the application of the first part of the book. And he, he says to all believers, we should be living sacrifices offering our bodies as living sacrifices. And when you think of that, Paul's not saying that in a literal sense. Uh, we're living sacrifices. So that clearly is not like a literal sacrifice that must die. But I think Paul's point is that's something you do not once. So the living sacrifices is not your initial confession of Christ as Lord, but it's every day, your rededication. You are a continual offering back unto the Lord. And that's kind of what you see here. The people are coming back morning after morning. But then you encounter a very unusual but joyful crisis. A crisis I think far too churches probably never ever experience in their existence. Because look what happens in this scene in verses 4 through 7. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work in the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work of the Lord commanded to be done. Like th this is actually a problem. And Moses has to, as the leader, do something. And so know what Moses does. It says Moses gave an order. And they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more. That verb restrained means that they were kept back. That they wanted to keep going. And, and Moses had to say to them, pull back. You know, let, let's, let's throttle this down a little bit. Your generosity, your, your amazing response to obedience is, is overwhelming here. When was the last time that you heard of a church where someone from the pulpit made an announcement and said, we, we just have too many willing workers. We, we just can't keep up with the number of people wanting to serve God. And yet the sad part is God is still the same God as in the pages here of history. Same God we serve today. So God has not changed. Has it been that our concept of what it means to serve God has been dumbed down and watered down to think somehow what God is at least pleased with if we just give them a little bit of our time rather than the continual offering day in and day out of all of the gifts 
all the abilities God has given us. I'd like you to go to the book of Hebrews and fast forward here to a take on the tabernacle, the tent of meeting that we find from the writer of Hebrews. Because I'm wondering if in this scene, their excitement and enthusiasm under Moses was tied to something that they did not fully understand, but <coughs> did see. And that is the building of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, was bigger than just what they saw happening at that moment. In other words, is it possible that service would be seen from its correct perspective if we would see it in terms of the much bigger picture of the work of God? Because listen what happens in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 5 through 6. The writer says, They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. That is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one and is founded on better promises. We just read about the directions for the tabernacle. Here the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know where those directions came from? They came from God, but they were to mirror something much greater, and that is the kingdom of God. And then we can just kind of think of something that's said in the Gospel of John, where it says, Jesus came and he tabernacled among us. That that tent of meeting that they were to build was a symbol of God's presence among them. But even that was not the end all of everything. It was pointing to Jesus Christ who would come and be that ultimate tabernacle and dwelling among us while he walked on earth, but then the sending of his spirit, which indwells us now as believers. Maybe that's why they were so excited and compelled to serve, because they saw a glimpse of a much bigger part that their service to God is intended to show. So if you show up for work day next week and all you do is just clean some windows and that's your only thought, you haven't grasped the bigger picture of what serving God should be all about. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that Christ became the ultimate servant to show us what it means to give obedience and joyful service to the one who is worthy of all worship. Change and transform us, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.